0: to take your Bible and turn to uh, Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew chapter one and verse five is our scripture reading for the, today. And you can turn there in your Bible or if you don't have your copy of God's word with you, uh, the verse will be on the screen for us to read. What was that? I was asking to oh, okay. I see, I see, I see. Well, I'm used to a little feedback from this congregation, uh, so I never know. But uh, he often would correct me or inform me uh, of things, so I I try to keep a listen and and see if there's something I've missed. Well, uh, we'll be reading Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, and I'm going to ask if you would please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Let us pray. God, I thank you for um, your word. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness. I thank you. For every mom that's in this room. And Lord, I just pray that today, uh, God, that that we would catch a glimpse of how much you love us, of what your grace is, and Lord, that those aren't just Sunday school words. They're not just phrases that we say at church, but they're things that impact us uh, to the very core, every moment of every day of our life, and to the point of our meaning and purpose here on this life, God. Help us to understand our relationship to you and the grace and mercy you have for us. May your spirit work freely among us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, uh, about two weeks ago, around the end of April, uh, I had a very special treat in my life, and that is uh, I got to get my mom from her home. She lives a, a little over four hours away from me, down on the coast, And I got to bring her uh, up here. Is this sound working? I'm not hearing myself. Okay. Oh, it turned off. Let's let's try one more time, time and if it cuts out, wave at me. Um, I got to take my mom and get her down there and bring her up here and, and got to keep her for a week. Now, this is really special. Mom's 82 years old. We lost dad two years ago. Uh, I've, I've been a minister my entire adult life, and so I've been in different churches and, and never, never really been back with mom. So the time that I get to spend with her is, is just precious. And, uh, you know, we, we, she'll talk about dad and she'll, um, you know, memories of him and things that have happened. But also, uh, she goes back and talks a lot about our childhoods and she'll talk about, uh, oh, you did this, and you said that, and and she loves, almost every time I see her, she loves to remind me that when I was about, a toddler of about four or five, my Aunt Helen came in and said, oh, honey, and started to say something very sweet, and I stopped her right there, and I said, my name's not honey, my name is Timmy, and, uh, (laughs) From you know, they just love, of course that's one of those stories I've heard a million times. That was so cute, you know. And uh she brings up all of these old stories and talks about all the things that we did as kids and, and and but then we have these other conversations and it's interesting besides the the memories and all the things and how wonderful all the children are and what how proud she is and what we've done, blah blah blah. But then we get on these other subjects and comes to kind of her her raising us and she'll say Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I should have kept you from that. I shouldn't have made you do that. I should have, I shouldn't have. And and so many times, it's all of these things that she just didn't do right. And then I want to say to her, Mom, it's a miracle. We turned out to be perfect angels with all the mistakes you made, you know. Uh, because she's, she's always talking, about, oh, I should have done this better, or I should have handled that, or I should have protected you from this, and, you know, on and on. The, those kind of things that it's not all at once, but it, these comments just come out over time. And, you know, I got to wondering, it, it made me, I've thought about this over the years, and especially this last couple of weeks, um, because this was never an issue with my dad, okay? Uh, I never, he never stood around. Behind the mic. Um, and so, it was not the case with my mom and dad, and I got to wondering, is this something that just is my family, or does it kind of this way in a lot of different families? Because with my dad, you basically got the idea that, hey, I put food on your plate, a roof over your head, you wore clothes, I'm a great dad, okay? You know, that that was kind of, he he never dealt with this little guilt issue over raising me. He felt pretty darn good about how he raised me, but, but mom was always different, and so I thought, you know does is this just a local thing or is this kind of a universal you know issue and so I did what I do when I'm seeking out answers on the deepest questions of life of course I googled it okay I put in the words mom and guilt mom guilt. Now, if you Google those two words, it is so interesting. You will have uh, how I embraced mommy guilt, okay? It's more often called mommy guilt than mom guilt, but apparently there's a whole series of articles and things out there about getting rid of mom guilt, 31 ways not to experience mom guilt this Mother's Day, and on and on and on. There's all this stuff about mom guilt or, or mommy guilt, and I thought, you know, it's interesting that, um, There's such a difference there. You know, there's not a lot of stuff there on dad guilt, but mom guilt, it's all over the place. And I thought about some of the fundamental differences between really just not just moms and dads, but men and women. Now, obviously, these are generalizations. They're not true of every man or every woman, but there's things that are different about us. In fact, I remember a survey a few years ago that said they tested about lying, okay? They wanted to see who lied more, men or women. Now, come to find out, Folks, this may surprise you, but it's equal. Men and women lie equally, but there's a big difference about why they lie. Women lie to make other people feel better, men lie to make us look better. Okay, so we're all liars, but ours seems kind of a little bit worse. And so, you know, men, we just don't seem to a lot of times have this guilt or worry. We think, I did it, yeah, I did a good job. I'm a, I'm a great dad. My kids are great, but moms just kind of have have these issues and, and, and worry about it. Even when I take uh, young couples in for counseling, they come to see me, and they're about to get married, and we start going over the different verses about marriage in the Bible. You can even see the difference there. You know, we'll go to Genesis 1 or 1, 2, whatever, that early in Genesis where it talks about um, the, the man and the woman leaving their father and mother, and they'll be joined together as one flesh, and and, and I can look at these couples and see the expressions on their faces. And, and usually at this point, the woman is thinking, oh, the wonderful, intimate connection, the emotional thing we have. And the man, he's also got a gleam in his eye, but uh, he's thinking something different. He's like, the two shall become one. I'm with this scripture. I can relate. This is going to be all right. And, you know, um, it's okay to laugh at that. I know somebody like, oh, he said that in church. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that afterward... Um, You know, maybe a few years later, uh, if he's not thinking that, men probably think the two shall become one. Now, if I put that math together, that means I get parental credit for everything I did and everything she did. So it's, it's all all right. But with moms, it seems to be different. So I want us to talk and just think just a little bit. Uh, about two moms in the Bible. Now, we're going to talk about two moms that are listed in one of the most boring parts of the Bible, if you're if you're going to call parts of the Bible boring. And, and just admit, those of you who've actually read the Bible verse by verse, you've read through passages, tell me the truth. When it's a good story about David and Goliath or some kind of action, you're reading and you're into it, and that's great. But when you get to these passages where it says so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, we turn into skim readers, okay? We want to check off that we've read that chapter in the Bible, but we kind of, you know, skim through it real quick. But the ancient Israelites, they didn't skim through that. To them, that was interesting. To them, that was, that was spot on because they loved to know their history, where they came from, how they got to where they got. And so this passage that we read, um, like I said, some of the older translations say so-and-so begat so-and-so. This kind of modernized it, the translation I was using today. But it said, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. So there's two women here that I want us to talk about and think about. We'll kind of ignore the men folk. It isn't about them today. It's about you, ladies, today. Okay, so we'll ignore the men in this passage, and we'll just talk about um, Rahab and Ruth. First of all, Rahab. Now, some of you, if you think about Rahab, um, hey, we think about she was. She's in here. She's in Jesus' lineage. She must have been one of the good guys. She must have been just a, an awesome Christian, religious woman, right? Okay. Well. Turns out she is a hero of the Bible, uh, but Rahab kind of had a past, okay? Rahab is mentioned five, I mean, mentioned six times in the Bible. But this is the only time, the one time that she's just, her name is given just Rahab. Because the other five times her name is given as Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot, and over and over. That is how she was known, and that's kind of an archaic word, and we could certainly come up with more modern ones, but you get the picture. She was a woman of ill repute. She was a woman with a history, with a past. I mean, just imagine that all you were ever called, I mean, it was like part of her name. It's like saying Jabba the Hutt or Andre the Giant. You just just say the whole thing, Rahab the harlot. It was just part of who she was. as who everybody knew her as. And yet the Bible tells us that she became a hero in the Bible. And not only that, she was outside. She was there in Jericho when God had said, take the city of Jericho, and she was the one who said, I know that your God is the real God. I know that, that we're on the way out and you're on the way in. And I want to be where you're at. And she cooperated with the, uh, the spies from the nation of Israel. And she hung a little red cord out of her window. And that cord was special. It was symbolic. Friday night, I was down in Laurel. I was at uh, my son Caleb at his senior recognition night, and they were talking about all the scholarships and all the honors. And one of the things that he and several other people received was a red cord. That this coming Friday, when they graduate, that red cord will be they'll be wearing. And the red cord is for giving blood. These high school seniors have been giving blood in the blood drives at their school. And they were recognized and they were honored for that. And and I think rightfully so, that gift of blood saves lives. So that cord has a meaning. Well, this cord for Rahab had a meaning. Not only did it alert them, but it was a foreshadowing of the idea that the blood of Christ could redeem all sin. That the blood of Christ could overcome any past, any history, any baggage that was out there. And she became not just Rahab, the harlot, or Rahab, woman of Jericho, in the lineage of Jesus. She, ha- she is Rahab, the great, 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 keep on going some more greats, grandmother of Jesus And then there's this other woman. We have Rahab and we have Ruth. Ruth, the Moabite. Ruth is, we have a whole book of the Bible named after her and and we have her story and so we also look at her and we hear about her and we think she's one of the good ones. She's a woman of faith. But we have to understand that Ruth had a history and a past as well. Ruth was a Moabite. Now, you need to... Think about the Moabites were a people that didn't really have a good reputation among the Israelites. If you go back in your Bible stories, if you remember the story about Sodom and Gomorrah, and you remember Lot and his wife and his daughters, and they had to be warned they had to leave, and they didn 't want to leave, but finally they left, and, and we know the whole story about his wife looked back, God said, don 't look back." She looked back, and she turned into a pillar of salt. And they get to where, the Bible tells us that they get to where they are going. And Lot is so frazzled. He's so broken. He's so destroyed. After Everybody he knew either died in fire and brimstone in the city or his wife in in that pillar of salt. And it's just him and his daughters. And you want to say he stays strong for his daughters, but he doesn't. He breaks down, goes into drunkenness, gets so afraid that he moves away from everybody else and goes into the mountains, him and his two grown daughters, and and there they are, eking out a miserable existence. And in one of the stories that you didn't hear in Sunday school growing up because it's just not age appropriate, the sisters say, we're going to die, old maids, and there's not going to be anybody to carry on the family Lineage. There's no men around. And their father, who already had turned to drink and become a drunkard, they encouraged it even more. And the Bible says that that he did not know when they lay down and when they got up. And they did this on consecutive nights. And the nation of Moab comes from that incestuous relationship of Lot and his two daughters. Okay, so you understand now that Ruth, whoa, she's a good girl. She's one of the good ones, right? But in that day, she's a Moabite. She's one of those people who came out of that kind of nation. And if that was not enough, later on, the Moabites developed a culture of child sacrifice. They were a wicked and ungodly people. And yet, Ruth... When she marries into an Israelite family who moves down to Moab because of a famine, when her father-in-law dies and her brother-in-law dies and even her husband dies, and there is nothing connecting her back to Israel, she tells her mother-in-law Naomi, "I'm going to go where you go. And treat me not to leave you. Where you stay, I'll stay." Your God is going to be my God. Because she recognized something in the God of Israel that was different from all of this junk that she grew up, all of the mess and all of the sinfulness and all of the dysfunction in her family and in her nation of Moab. She said, I don't want that for my future. I don't want that for my children one day. I want something different. And she chose differently than she had been raised. And she chose differently from her past. And she said, I want something different. I want to serve the Lord. And she went with Naomi. And she married Boaz, who was the descendant of Rahab. And she and Boaz had children and their descendants, and their descendants, and their descendants, down to King David and down to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What do we take from these two women in this overlooked and boring passage of Scripture? We take that God and his grace is bigger than your past and bigger than your guilt. Moms, you are always going to have somebody out there who does it a little bigger and a little better. You're always going to be tempted to say, my first, my one-year-old's birthday party is not a total success unless everybody's there and they, we get it on video just right when they eat the cake and there's so many, a million, billion different temptations to beat yourself up with guilt. And God says... Embrace my grace. It's not that he wants us to pretend that we've got it all together and we do it all right. No. God's got plenty in scripture that tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have got it all right. None of us have got it all together. No matter how much we may pretend or act like that's the case. But here's the thing. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Galatians chapter 3 that the purpose of the law was not that we would be good enough, that we would get it right enough, that we would have it all together and we would earn our way into heaven, but rather that the purpose of the law was to open our minds and to show us that we're never going to be good enough on our own and it's going to be God's grace that carries us and takes us where we need to be. God made the law so we would all recognize our need for grace. Now sometimes there's even beyond the regular mom guilt what I would call super Christian mom guilt. And this is guilt that comes from perhaps it's Proverbs chapter 31 where you have that idealized mother. And and ladies, I want you to know she is an idealized picture. She was not a real woman. No woman in history has ever done everything that woman did, okay? Stop judging yourself and beating yourself up if you're comparing. That is ideals. They're good things to strive for, bad things to judge yourself against. Because none of us get there. I'm going to tell you, if there was a Proverbs 32 dad, we'd all be like, yeah, that's me. I did that, you know. (laughs) But moms look at Proverbs 31 and like, oh, I I don't do all those things. I don't do enough. No, no, no. Remember, God's word, his law, his commandments pull us toward grace. What about I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Sometimes Christian women say, I'm gonna do all, I'm gonna do all the stuff for me that my stay-at-home mom did for me in all of her time. Plus, I'm gonna add a, a full-time career, and my kids are going to be busier than I ever was as a kid, and maybe even a part-time job, and, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that's not what Paul was saying. Paul was saying that we get to a point where we recognize our inadequacies. We recognize our weaknesses, we recognize our flaws, and we don't excuse them away or pretend that they're not there, but we say, hey, God, your grace is big enough. It's sufficient for all the things that maybe I couldn't get to that I wished I would have. God, it's your grace. And if you think about it, any parent in their right mind who has a child who goes grows up, and they are, they made it, they did well, they love God, they're a good husband or a wife, they're a good worker. Any parent who's honest when someone says, how'd you do it? If you're honest, you're going to say, God's grace, because it's God's grace that not only saves us and makes us Christians, it's God's grace that's with, it, with us every single day of our lives. So whether you're a mom or a dad trying to be a better mom and dad, or you're a kid trying to be a better kid, or whoever you are, whatever you're trying to do in life, God's grace is big enough for you. He doesn't want you to pretend like you got it all together. You're sinful just like I am. All of us have fallen short. All of us have messed up. But when we humbly come to God and say, God, I can't do any more. God, I'm giving this to you. That's when God says, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough for you. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that by your grace, all of us are here. Almost every one of us, we have stories about times we wandered away or into the street or into the woods or or we were, something happened that could have happened, that should have happened, that almost happened. And we know we're only even here by your grace, much less that the good things in our lives have been by your grace. We're thankful that by your grace, God, many of us have been blessed with wonderful mothers who have invested in us and loved us and cared for us. God, help us to be thankful to you and to them and to express that. And God, for those who are moms today, I pray you'd strengthen them, encourage them. Lord, help them go beyond the mommy guilt to the place of your grace of your mercy, of your sufficiency for them. Lord, be with us now in our time of uh, commitment to you. May we respond to you, whether publicly or privately, whatever you're calling upon us to do, may we do it today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.